0: listening to Gibraltar Stories. My name's Lindsay Weston and Gibraltar's been my home for the past 10 years. The longer I've been here, the more I've learned about this tiny and very special place. With this podcast, I hope to share some of the fascinating stories Gibraltar has to tell.
1: There were about 5,000 people in one convoy. 5,000 women, children, the elderly and the Some people died and had to be buried at sea. Uh, some women give birth to children, a bit traumatic.
0: Hello and welcome to this episode in a brand new series of the Gibraltar Stories podcast. Today you find me on the quayside at Gibraltar Harbour, a spot where almost 79 years ago thousands of Gibraltarians set sail for distant shores, many of them never to return. This week, I'm focusing on an event which many Gibraltarians believe helped shape the Gibraltarian identity – the evacuation of most of the civilian population from the rock during World War II. When I first arrived here, I had no idea it had happened. I knew that Gibraltar had played a significant role in the victory of the Allied forces. Eisenhower was based here for a time. Winston Churchill visited too and as well as being ideally located to monitor ships and submarines passing through the Strait of Gibraltar, its strategic location at the southern tip of Europe and just a few short miles across the Strait from Morocco meant that operations in North Africa were run from here too. In order for the British military to have a free run of the place, almost all of the civilian population was shipped out to Jamaica, London, Madeira, Morocco and Northern Ireland, Just those men involved in essential professions like the naval dockyard workers were allowed to remain on the rock. Between the 22nd of May and the 24th of June, a total of 12,044 evacuees, comprised of women, children under 14 and elderly men, were shipped across the strait to what was then known as French Morocco. Joe Jingle was a small child when he was sent away to Morocco and later on to London where the bombs were falling. For years he has been researching the experiences of families like his own who were sent far from home. His initial research was prompted by his daughter Michelle, who at the time was being treated for breast cancer in the UK. And his first book, We Thank God in England, is dedicated to her memory and raised funds for cancer charities. Since that book was first published in 2011, Joe continued to amass information, photographs and stories about more of the evacuees and has recently published a second book, Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea, which holds further stories. Joe's second book is being sold to raise funds for the Gibraltar Alzheimer's and Dementia Society and the Gibraltar Mental Welfare Society. I went along to the Gibraltar Regimental Club from where Joe sells his book to find out more about his story. I must point out, though, that where we were was quite quiet at first, but it got rather busy and noisy all of a sudden, so we had to change location partway through our chat. He started by telling me about his own experiences of the evacuation.
1: I was evacuated when I was two years old. We were evacuated to... French Morocco like most of the evacuees went to French Morocco initially and obviously I can't remember anything I was only two years old but obviously I there's what I know is what my mother used to tell me and we went there Mm -hmm. for a few weeks and all of a sudden we were told that we had to leave French Morocco in 24 hours so we were we had to come back in a rush Come back to Gibraltar, like most of the people were sent to French Morocco, and when we arrived here, the the authorities didn't want us to disembark because they had a lot of problem getting out as out from the Gibraltar, so they didn't want to face the problem of uh, having to evacuate against our will. So eventually, they they, um, they, they let us uh, disembark for just on the provision. Or understanding that we had to uh, accept to be evacuated again. And the authorities at the time, the representatives from Gibraltar, went to see the governor and they gave him the assurance that we would cooperate with uh, another evacuation. I mean, this is what I'm, I was only two years old, but I'm just saying this from, <coughs> from uh, what my mother told me and what I've researched. And uh, after coming back from French Morocco we spent three weeks here and we in my family were sent to uh, UK we sailed across the Atlantic I can't, I can't remember anything about but my mother said she was seasick all the whole journey and it took 16 year, uh, days to get to Liverpool uh, and it
0: was dangerous then it obviously there, I mean they, they,
1: they, they were sinking ships left right and centre um, Britain was on the brink of losing the battle on the Atlantic. Atlantic, uh, Atlantic battle, event. they were stopping, obviously, uh, um, Britain to be uh, supplied with goods that were coming mainly from America. Anyhow, we disembarked in Liverpool after 16 days at sea, um, as I said, uh, with the threat of being sunk in the middle of the Atlantic. Uh, we were extremely lucky not to be stopped by German submarines and we arrived in uh, Liverpool and from there we were taken to by train after washing and delousing things because so there were about 5,000 people in one convoy. So 5,000 women, children, the elderly and the Some people died in the, and had to be buried at sea. Uh, some women gave birth to children a uh, bit traumatic uh, experience for my mother obviously she and those people went through that those trying periods in the... and from Liverpool we arrived in London and we were taken to the heart of London in oh. Russell Square where my family was taken to Russell Square there was a, a place called the Rangan Hotel though an hotel it wasn't there I mean, we were not living in an hotel Well, it was, the name was the hotel but it wasn't an hotel we were Four or five in one room, and um, after a month there, the place was bombed, and we had to move to another hotel. Although the uh, the uh, national hotel was called hotel, but it was an hotel was being recommissioned commissioned by the British government to to house, to house the and feed them uh, feed the evacuees, and the place was so overcrowded that we were sent to a college. This was an it wasn't a hotel, it was a college that was requisitioned by the British government to house the evacuees there, and there were about 500. The students from the college been sent to Durham. There were students that were sent, because of the bombing of London, were sent to Durham, and we were in the in the college. We, I, when I arrived at the college, I think I was about three, I, I stud, Grey student thinks I remember vaguely uh, like glimpses of the place, and uh, after three years there uh, in 1944, the place was bombed, was College, and I was nearly six. I remember seeing the place in flames, uh, sitting on the grass. It was uh, very cold, it was extremely cold winter, middle of winter, and it was I think it was snowing. Yes, I it was snowing, and. Uh, remember very vaguely, but, but I remember these the very, very big memories of the, of the place uh, in Flames. I uh, have those uh, memories of the year. And from there we were taken to uh, a temporary accommodation somewhere in Peckham. And my mother used to say there was a horrible place. The, uh, there must have been a lot of uh, anti-aircraft guns. They were shooting all the time at the aircraft. It was horrible, you know, the bombing and the shooting, and they, I think, they complained to the manager. It could take us, a bit, another place, and we were taken to the um, Oxford Street in uh, London, obviously, in a place called the York Hotel. Again, the York Hotel, requisitioned by the British government to put the evacuees there because they're moving. Place where being bombed, and they have to shift people around. And we went there to the York Hotel in, in nearly I think it was nearly it must have been about June 1944 because shortly after there was there was hit not the hotel but nearby there uh, one of the flying bombs and we I remember again in being the the um, it wasn't was a, a kitchen and dining room and the, there were cups flying all over the place smoke. Uh, we were lying there on the floor, was, I, I remember like a, a terrible explosion and uh, uh, that's the only way I can describe it and we, so all of a sudden we found ourselves on the floor and when I did my research I found out that the, the detail of the, this flying bomb that had hit um, f- about 500 yards from where we were and it killed one of the uh, in the who went out shopping and was killed and then from there I was about six years and we were told that we could come back to Gibraltar Uh, I hadn't seen my father for four years I didn't know what he looked like and um, in July I think July it was July 1944 we came back to to Gibraltar and we arrived at the dockyard my father was waiting there because my father used to work in the dockyard and um, Obviously, uh, when when the lorry carried us from the uh from the docker to the where we're living, uh, I saw a man coming towards me and he grabbed me like that Aww. like from the and I looked to my mother who was this man <laughs> 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 he said, oh it started, it's hes it's it's so yeah
0: Goodness! Certainly, coming from the UK, when you hear stories of evacuees, it's of people being moved out of the danger zone. But you were moved right into the heart of
1: London when the Battle of Britain was in full swing. Full swing. Now the the explanation given by the British government was that the the taking us away from Gibraltar, the only place we could be taken was London, where we could be, because there were about thirteen thousand people there. And the only place where they could look after us medical-wise and the um, socially and any benefits or whatever, social welfare, was London. The only place that we, they could manage 13,000 people of the same culture, of the same habits. Uh, uh, remember, the food was entirely different to what we used to eat. And there were, I mean, although... the the food was good but the the way it was cooked people didn't like it and there were a lot of uh, grumbling about the food Uh, of course the uh, children had to go to school but a lot of children were of school age and you couldn't have uh, uh, about 4,000 children without going to school they had to go to school even uh, there was a bombing so the only place they, they, they could manage that was London I mean if you had People's scattered all about Britain, how can you manage? That was the explanation given by the British government, why we were taken to London. And of course, the uh, we stayed there about four years. We witnessed the, the whole bombing, the blitz. Um, a few people got killed by the bombing. Luckily, not many, but very, a few got killed. And we... I think after a while, uh, like most of London got used to the 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 idea of being in London, and we we for well, I mean the evacuees formed football teams, um, uh, had a lot of uh, entertaining about social entertaining, uh, bands perform bands, they, um, they went for outings, organized outings, so they 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 after a little while they got used to the bombing and they managed the, to where to find the, the food they, they like and, did their, and some of them did their own uh, cooking they got the the ingredients or the uh, thing for making food from the uh, from the management and they cooked the, the food the way they, they liked it you
0: mentioned that the food was very different yeah. what about language was there the a language there
1: was uh, yeah I mean a lot of People couldn't speak English. That was a, a bit of a barrier there. But they, as I said, necessity is a mother of invention. No? <laughs> if you want something, you have to you know, struggle for it. And they, they, eventually they managed to find their way around London. And it was uh, unlike openers. I mean, even Gibraltar, where people didn't travel at all. And then find themselves in London, huge, the the city of the main city of the British Empire. With
0: it must have been a culture shock.
1: A culture shock, yes. Aside yes. from the bombs. Yeah, 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 yes, yeah. Of course, I, I mean that is my my own yeah. experience. Yeah. Uh, of course, there other things about the evacuation, like people who went to Madeira. That's what I know. Is what I've researched and what I've interviewed people to find out how they lived in Madeira remember there was Jamaica as well and those who were in London eventually were sent to Northern Ireland because there was no accommodation to bring everybody at the same time accommodation was very very quite a problem at the time
0: well, I think it was a problem for the locals as well mm-hmm. and, and some were sent to Scotland as well I've heard of, of somebody who was sent up to Scotland as well
1: yeah the thing is when we were in London there, as I said well, 13,000 Ever christened in 1944, when the war was nearly over, they said that we could come back and they gave the, the priority to those who were separated. The like in my case, who hadn't seen his father, and there were about six thousand in that sort of uh, category. And they were brought February 44 to July 44, they were all brought back six thousand. Now, the others. Well, seven thousand, there was no accommodation for them. And they were they were sent to that's why they were sent to Northern Ireland. And they they took about four, five, six years for all the evacuees to come back from Northern Ireland to Gibraltar. Some of them spent about whole four years in the camp. The camps were left a lot to be desired because they were missing hearts if you imagine the people used to this t- taking to Northern Ireland, freezing weather, living in a, a nice hut, uh, freezing in winter, and it's supposed to be uh, very warm in, in summer. And um, the I mean, you find, uh, but again, they, they got used to it. They, they formed uh, football teams, concert, a lot of concerts, they mingled with the, uh, the locals, the Irish and they did a bit of uh, farming as well. They got paid for it, not too much, but they got paid for the farming. And um, one of the main problems in Northern Ireland was no employment. And that, of course, put off a lot of uh, evacuees because they were not entitled to uh, an employment benefit because they had not been working too long in Northern Ireland to be entitled. So they were given some sort of a financial benefit, I think two and six a week. Those who were very desperate were with their families because some of them brought their, their husbands, because they, they, they were accompanied by the husband, they lost their priority of coming back. So the husband had to find work and there was no work. In a desperate situation, they went to look for work for, to London and about 2,000. Um, in of their own accord went to, back to London and uh, most of them settled in London because they were uh, at the time I mean the coalition was much better than the The prospects of coming back to Brulte are going again to live in Nissenhats. That was that way we, they had to come to Nissenhats. So, Knowing that they were going to come to huts, they preferred to stay in London where there was no more mm, no prospect for their children to a better education, uh, a better standard of life. About 2,000 of them stayed in a place called the, uh, what was called, Bullen Road uh, Hostel. And they, they formed like a little community there, Gibraltar community. And um, the last ever, I think, came back in 1951. Left in 1940 and came back in 1951. And then the Madeira ones, Basically, those who went to Madeira were families who could afford because they, the British government had done some sort of a arrangement with the Portuguese government that they offered to accommodate, uh, take care of 2,000 evacuees, providing that they could uh, pay for their stay there. And, of course, not many families in Gibraltar were, uh, could afford it, uh, rich enough to, to stay there for four years and they, they, what they did is uh, that they, they did a sub, some sort of a mistest test to find out how much they, they have in the, in the bank or whatever to afford their stay in Madeira and uh, they divided into three categories the A B A category which was the, the full work the B who had to pay something but the, the, the family had to uh, subsidize a bit and there were a category C had to be subsidized by the families in So, about 2,000 Everquiz went to Madeira on, on that sort of a basis that they had to contribute to the stay there.
0: It's at this point where we moved locations to continue our chat outside, where Joe began telling me about the families who were shipped across the Atlantic to Jamaica.
1: The um, British government said that they, they could only absorb about 12,000 Evacues there was no competition for anybody else. There were 2,000 in Madeira, and there were still around 1,000 that had to be taken away. There were families with children, the elderly uh, firm, and the, the military authorities said that they had to leave Gibraltar. And the only place they could go was the Jamaica, where they built a camp for them. Camp, I mean, they didn't know they were going to Jamaica. Their jobs shipped. And they, when they arrived there, they went, what is this place? And they, they found out that it was Jamaica. And they, were, they spent most of the time in a camp, very big. A lot of accommodation was plenty of space there. There's no lack of space. Mm. <laughs> and they had a little football pitch. And they built a bungalow for concerts and uh, frame and entertainment. Uh, but most of the time they were they were in, the, in this camp, which must have been a bit boring. But uh, yeah, they, they, they had to. That's the only place they they, they could go. And uh, a few managed to on their own had families in Spain and went to Spain. About three hundred, and another um, uh, mainly who had businesses or were working in Tangier went to Tangier. So there were about seven hundred. Uh, ever quies in 10 years. So when you add the total of the people who went to London, Jamaica, uh, Spain, uh, uh, Madeira, uh, the total is about 16,000, which made about three quarters of the civilian population. Uh, 4,000 stayed here because most were men who were essential, who were had to stay behind working on essential services. Like the... um, mainly the like the uh, dockyard and the reF and the uh, and the army you were working for the army personnel and uh, they had to stay here
0: what kind of an impact do you think the whole experience of the evacuation had on the Gibraltarian identity oh yes,
1: very very uh, huge impact A- impact that's it's been it's felt uh, um, it was felt because of the uh, People began to uh, for the first time be conscious that you have to f- have to fight for your rights before before the evacuation, there were things which uh, I mean people lived a very uh, quiet life, very close community and never went out very few went out for uh, anywhere further than the uh, uh, la al Jas uh, and they lived quite uh, life, and all of a sudden they found themselves scattered all over the place. People were dying in distant places. Um, they had to, as I say, fight for their rights, uh, especially in London, because uh, when they were in London, one of the things that very few people know that the the British government said that the move to London was only a temporary one, and they they had eventually they. they they wanted the evacuees to go to um, West Indies. They were building camps there to put them there. And of course the, the, uh, the evacuees were uh, scared of crossing the Atlantic again. They have been very lucky in, um, and they, they didn't want to push that again. No. Especially when uh, ships carrying uh, uh, British children had been sunk and uh, some lost their lives. Uh, so they didn't want to experiment that sort of thing. going through through the Atlantic with the uh, the the, uh, the probability of being sunk, and they refused. They put up the uh, case. They, they 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 formed committees, and that I think gave rise to the uh, political parties in Gibraltar, because in 1942 in London they became the the. The, I think the birth of the I don't know how much you know about local <laughs> politics but uh, Sayosho Hassan was uh, a yeah. prominent politician Insolentia. in Gibraltar uh, who, uh, uh, who this party uh, was formed actually in London because people were right, fighting for the rights and they obviously they engaged lawyers in a few legal cases and one the legal case of so people who refused to be They wanted to go to their place and eat privately and they were refused. They had to, they said they had to, uh, in the dining room. They said, no, I'm going to take my... And uh, one of them was grabbed by the police to take him to... to, And the people there formed like a sort of barrier, like a picket line. And and the police had to give up. They, They couldn't get this chap out of the. Goodness. And the, there was one of the lawyers who took the case to won the case. Oh, I don't know what the, the discrimination was, I don't know what it was, but he, oh, he, he won the case. And of course, this, there were a few people who were, who were sort of a um, union mentality, yeah. uh, fighting for their workers' rights, Indeed. a few of them and the and they, they, so they, they formed like when they came back in 1944, they started uh, making noises about bringing back the uh, people from Northern Ireland. And there were a lot of demonstrations during the, the uh, uh, from 1945 to 1950s. Demonstrations uh, urging the British government to bring back the uh, evacuees for Northern Ireland. They were suffering a lot, and they cold winter and the Nissen Huts. uh, Things like that. If if you read my book, you find a lot of information there about the demonstrations, uh, people uh, waving placards in Northern Ireland, taking me back to the world. This is uh, things like that.
0: Now, mentioning your book, yeah. uh, what is it that compelled you to have to, to want to tell the stories of, of people who were mm. impacted mm. by the evacuation?
1: Well, the uh, thing is that the, uh, I obviously uh, knew a bit about the, uh, the evacuation, as an evacuation. My mother used to tell a lot of stories, and um, something which you inherit, a little story about your family which you inherit, and you tend to tell to your children and grandchildren. And... Um, 2001 my regretfully be my, my, my daughter uh, was diagnosed with cancer she had to go to UK for treatment and uh, one of those uh, trips that I made to UK to see my daughter she said yeah, why well, don't we go and do a bit of research about where you went to take photographs and write something about it." and so we went to this place, the Wylands College I mentioned to you, where I spent most of my time in London and we went there, we spoke to the uh, staff there, lecturers and principals and they were amazed to hear what we were telling them. They didn't believe that we had spent four years in the Wylands College, it was a university, And, uh, and we took photographs, I took photographs when I was there in the college and then obviously they invited me to go to take photos and tell more about our own experience or my experience during the evacuation. We t- took photographs, we went to the room where we were accommodated in, in the, uh, this university. And from there on, I uh, started writing a bit about it, about my family experience. Uh, my daughter said, why don't you write a book about the evacuation? I mean, you've got a lot of information but, of course, I'm not a writer, I'm just a layman, uh, uh, I'm not an historian. Just, uh, uh, but she inspired me, my daughter inspired me to, to write this book.
0: And if you'd like to get hold of a copy of Joe's latest book, Between the Devil and the Deep Blue Sea, you can do this by sending him an email. You can find his contact details in the show notes for this episode, along with a photo of the cover of his book, which was painted by Joe's nephew, Joseph Jingle. My thanks to Joe for taking the time to speak to me about his experiences, as well as sharing some of the huge amount of information and stories he's collected during his years of research into the evacuation of Gibraltar. And finally, my thanks to you too for listening. This is the first episode of the second series of Gibraltar Stories. I disappeared for a few weeks to work on research for some very special future episodes to mark the 50th anniversary of the closure of the frontier with Spain. I'm looking forward to being able to share those with you in the summertime. Don't forget you can listen back to any of the episodes from the first series at GibraltarStories.com as well as on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, SoundCloud and Spotify. And if you have a Gibraltar story which you'd like to share, please do get in touch with me through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter or by email to GibraltarStories at gmail.com. Until next week, goodbye for now and thanks for listening.